Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. The Great Continental Divide is a very thin line stretching from northern Alaska to the southern end of Chile. When you're on the line, it's easy to be on one side or the other, but the further away you get, the harder it is to change sides. Teaching team member Jeff Norris continues the series Romans 8, Acceptance, with the second part of this message entitled, I Can Now Experience Divine Acceptance, which covers Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. So pretending, pretending can be fun uh, in the right context. Think about it as you were, if you were a kid and you played like I did as a kid when I was young, I remember playing pretend like all the time. Pretend like whatever, fill in the blank. Um, I listen to my girls play around the house. Samuel's 15. He's, not, he's too old now for the pretend like thing, except for when he's pretending he didn't do something that he really did. But it's a different pretending. But my girls are still young enough that when their friends are over, even when they're playing among themselves, they, they play a lot of, of pretend like. Pretend like. We're, this is the school, and we're the, we're the teachers, and we have students, and this is our classroom. Pretend like we're famous singers, and this is our stage, and we're at a concert. Pretend like we're playing house, and I'm the mom, and you're the daughters, or whatever it may be. The pretend-like world is what consumes the mind of a child. Maybe you have boys, and it's not that as much as it is. Pretend like I just cut your arm off. Pretend, pretend like I just hit you in the face, and you're bleeding. Whatever, whatever it may be, but... Kids love to play pretend. But even as adults, there's, there's times when pretending can be fun. Uh, I, I think back to, I was on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, or crew as it's called now, for 13 years. And one of those summers that I was on staff, I was helping lead a summer project in, in uh, Miami, Florida. And one of the things that we did just to, for fun for the students one night uh, that summer is we did a staff hunt in the city, which sounds kind of irresponsible, and maybe it was, but I don't know. We, we had fun with it. We gave them parameters. We said this is the only areas that the staff will be in, and so they weren't wandering all over the city, but uh, it was mainly in the Lincoln Road area if you've been to Miami, and that's a fun area. It's also an area where there's some interesting folks, and so staff got the opportunity to dress up as one of those interesting folks, and I dressed up. I slicked my hair back like Pat Riley, some of you are going, who in the world is Pat Riley? But if you're too young for that, then Google Pat Riley and you'll see how I did my hair. Slick straight back. I wore some crazy sunglasses. I put on a fake mustache. I wore a crazy Hawaiian shirt, unbuttoned. <laughs> Which, anyway. Um, <laughs> and then I wore these weird pants that were uh, flooding pretty high, but not quite capris. Okay, because you'll never catch me in capris. But, and then I had like these sandal shoes on, and I wanted to fit in, as, as strange as I could look, I wanted to fit in on Lincoln Road. And so I went down to this restaurant, and I sat at this restaurant, um, I put a cigar in my mouth, which, don't judge me, I didn't smoke it, and I'll probably get an email about that, but uh, put a cigar in my mouth, and I held a, a newspaper in front, of, in front of my face, and acted like I was just there as a parishioner, as a customer of the restaurant, and I blended in so well, and I loved it. 
it was so fun pretending, like even to the point where I, I don't know what it says about me. Maybe I need counseling or something that I enjoyed this so much of being someone that I wasn't. But, but I thought I had won too until in the last half hour there were two students who figured me out and saw that it was me and they caught me and I didn't win and I was really mad. <laughs> pretending can be fun, but pretending in the wrong context, in the wrong situation can be detrimental. You know, for instance, if you're pretending, if you're married, but you're pretending like you're not, it can be detrimental to your marriage. If you're pretending that you have a job, but you don't, if you're pretending in, in, in all kinds of myriad of ways that you can imagine that would be detrimental, but spiritually speaking, if we pretend, it can be detrimental, and I know because that, that was me. Spiritually speaking, I, I pretended a lot. I, I knew how to play the church game. I knew how to say the right things. I knew the culture, the church culture. I knew how, what to say. I knew what, what not to say. And, uh, and really what it boiled down to is I knew how to play the game of moralism and religiosity. And here's the thing. All the while I was living in hostility towards God. Ultimately living for myself, cloaked in this facade of spirituality. Because living in hostility to, towards God is living out of the flesh, as, this, as the Scripture calls it. And we'll talk about that more in a second as we see it in this passage. But it's living out of the sinful nature. Because really, what was at the center of my moralism, of my goodness, of my good behavior, of my church attendance, of my church activity, really had very little to do with God and His glory and had a lot to do with myself, with me and my reputation. And that's something that's not... Christianity, that's something that is, that's something that the world knows very well. That's something that we are naturally prone to do. And that's something that is ultimately in hostility towards God. We can be good at pretending, but there's something authentic. There's something real that's available to us. There is a, there is a real inward life giving peace saturated spiritual transformation that's available to us through Christ. We're going to see that in this, in this passage from Romans 8 today. Last week, uh, Randy led us off and kind of talking about this, this central question that we're addressing these first three weeks. Part one and part two and part three of this question of how can I know that I have divine acceptance? How can I know, even as Randy worded it last week, that I'm loved by God? And he said last week, we know because the the Word tells us so. Another way to say that is God tells us so, and what He declares to be true of us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. So we no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's where we're going today. But we know because God says so, but today what we're focusing in on is because our lives say so. How can I know that I'm accepted by God? How can I know that I'm loved by God? One of the evidences, not the only, but one of the evidences is a changed life, or more specifically, a transformed life. A life that has been transformed not by me modifying my behavior, but by the Spirit of God Himself transforming me from the inside out. And I want you to catch that. That's the key concept I want you to get today is I want you to understand that our tendency is to morally modify ourselves. So this whole idea of moral modification versus what we need, what we most need, which is spiritual transformation. 
our tendency, the gravitational pull of our hearts is to just want to be better moralistically and call it religion or call it Christianity or call it whatever we may want to call it to make us feel better about ourselves. But the, the scriptures show us over and over and over and over again that our situation, our problem is not that, we're, that, that we need to be better, that we need to be good, or that we need to behave better, we need to be moral. It's not that. It's not that we're bad and need to be good or that we're not, uh, you know, whatever and need to be better. Our situation is that we're dead spiritually. And we need to be transformed. Our hearts need to be completely changed. Our minds need to be completely changed. We need to be made new. We need to be a part of this transforming work of God that He can only do through the, through the Spirit of God who upon belief in Christ indwells us. That's spiritual transformation. And it's very different than moral modification. So look at the text with me. Romans 8, 5 through 13. Romans 8, 5 through 13 says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it, do, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, we sang about this just a few moments ago, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This is the Word of the Lord. Let me define a few terms for you, some common terms that are used over and over again by the Apostle Paul here in this text. He says the word flesh a lot. That if your mind is set on the flesh, it leads to death. The flesh here is not used in the context of, it's a word that in the Greek is called sarks, and it's used often in Scripture, and sometimes it's in the context of literally meaning the physical body. But in this context, and most often in the New Testament, it's used to define kind of the flesh being the sinful nature. Maybe your Bible even translates it that way. That we are all born, what Scripture teaches us throughout, is that we, every single human who's ever walked the face of the earth other than Jesus, is born into sin. And we're not, we're not sinners because of what we've done. We're sinners because it's who we are. It's our nature. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the heart of who we are. We're born into sin, and therefore we act out in sin because it's at the core of our being. It's our nature. It's our flesh. So this is true of all of us except for those whom God has rescued through faith in Christ. Where he opens our eyes to see our sin, to see our flesh, to see that it leads to death. And we repent of that, meaning that we turn from it and we declare to God and to Jesus that he is our Lord and Savior and we trust him. We place our faith in him and in doing so, at that moment when we place our faith in Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, comes and dwells within us and begins to change us from the inside out. 
See, our approach to, to life is a, is, tend, tends to be the world's approach, the flesh's approach, is a moralistic outside in. Let's change everything out here and hope that it changes me. But what the scriptures say is that will never be enough. You need a complete transformation of your heart through the work of the Spirit. And so flesh meaning the sinful nature, the spirit meaning the third person of the Trinity who comes and indwells those whose faith and trust is in Jesus. Now I want to give you a little bit of an illustration as to kind of how I want you to see this. When we think about the flesh and the spirit and how the flesh always leads to death and the spirit always leads to life. Uh, One of those years that I was on staff with crew, every other summer, we would go to Fort Collins, Colorado for our big staff conference. And one of those years, one of those summers, uh, we went, actually a lot of those summers, we, went, we would drive 20 minutes down the road and go into the Rocky Mountain National Park, one of my favorite places on earth, just absolutely captivating beauty. And if you drive far enough into the park and over a few peaks and get up over the 14,000 uh, kind of high point and come back down the, the backside, it starts to flatten out just a little bit. You still have peaks all around you. And as you're driving, all of a sudden, on your left, you see a big sign that says you are at the Continental Divide. And the Continental Divide, meaning when it rains, all water at that point is going to flow in two directions. Any water that lands on this side of the Continental Divide along this ridge is going to flow towards the Pacific. And any water that lands on this side of the ridge is going to flow towards the Atlantic or the Gulf of Mexico. Now, I I, I was told last night when I was teaching at the uh, Saturday night service that that we actually are on on the Eastern Continental Divide. That There's a little sign apparently on the green lawn in Duluth, I don't know if you've seen it, where it says this is the eastern continental divide where everything from here uh, south flows to the Gulf of Mexico and then on the other side flows towards the Atlantic. And I thought, huh, but I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about the one on the western side, okay? (laughs) Talking about the one in the Rocky Mountains, east and west. But So I stood there, but one of the things that caught my attention was I thought that in my mind the continental divide, and I'm sure it is at certain places, I mean it runs all the way from Canada through all the way down through New Mexico. But I thought it it was going to be a very defined ridge that would be hard to get from one side to the other. But what I realized is where this sign was, it was pretty much a flat road. And and it was just a line in the road. And you could easily be on the eastern side or on the western side with a step. Everything on this side flows to the Pacific. Everything on this side to the Atlantic. Really, it's that simple? I want you to understand something. When you've placed your faith upon Christ, when he has rescued you and opened your eyes to see your need for him and you've trusted him, you are always in union with him. You are always in relationship with him. This is what Randy spoke to a lot last week. That never changes. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion. Okay, so I'm not talking about being in and out of a relationship with Christ. He is doing his transforming work within you but because of our sin nature because of our flesh we are constantly in this battle daily where we're fighting to set the mind on the spirit our new nature our new transformed heart and what he longs for for us and yet this magnet that keeps pulling us back to our old self to our flesh that the way we've always done things the way that we most naturally think that's in hostility towards God And sometimes it can be as simple as me standing at the Continental Divide in the Rocky Mountain National Park and going from here to here. 
One minute I'm focused on the flesh and what I most want for myself. And the next minute I see that and God opens my eyes. I say, no, 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 I want what the spirit wants. And then the next minute I'm back over here wanting what the flesh wants. And it's this, this back and forth and back and forth. And this is what Paul, if you read Romans 7, is wrestling with when he says, I do not do what I want to do and what I most want to do. I don't do it, but sin doing it in me. Who will rescue me from this wretched body of death? Praise be to God. So there's a transformation that takes place that God is doing in us over time. And it starts, I shouldn't say starts, one of the most pivotal areas where this transformation takes place is actually in our minds. Look at the text. Look at verse 5. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. There's a transforming work that's going on in the life of the believer in the mind of the follower of Christ. To where what we think about, what we dwell on, what we saturate ourselves in mentally is changing. Now, I'm not suggesting to you, nor is Paul suggesting to us... That the, that the Christian life is just merely a mental exercise. Learn enough theology, know enough stuff about God, and you've experienced transformation. That's not true. There have been many, many, many people who know theology like the back of their hand and know nothing of God, of Jesus and his spirit. What this is talking about is this is not talking about intellectualism. This is talking about that we've met the living God. He's indwelling us, and part of his transforming work is this transformation of the mind. And certainly we'll struggle on the continental divide between flesh and spirit. We'll have moments where our mind is set on the flesh. But overall, the chief concern of our mind is moving more and more towards what the spirit desires, the spirit of God. Whereas before, before we knew Jesus, we were always, the needle was always, the mind was set on the flesh. Always. James Montgomery Boyce says it this way. He says, the Christian is someone who has been born again by the work of the Holy Spirit and who now, as a result of that internal transformation, has his mind set on what the Spirit of God desires. So there's a new mental focus. There's a transforming work of the mind that's going on with this spiritual transformation. But there's also a new inner experience. Listen listen to verse 6. Did you see it when we read it the first time? says this, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Think of the continental divide again. Everything that falls on this side will always lead to death. I mean, always lead to the Pacific, where I guess you could die, but will always lead to the Pacific. Anything that falls on this side will always lead to the Atlantic or the Gulf of Mexico. There is no Maybe, it's always in the same way. If you set your mind on the flesh, if you're going to operate out of the flesh and that's going to be where you live, it will lead to death. No question. Spiritual death. But if your mind is set on the Spirit through this transforming work of the Spirit in you, you will have life and peace. It's not a maybe. It's a promise. It's just what is. It's just what it is. We struggle to believe that, don't we? 
I mean, it's so easy to get caught up in believing that what the flesh wants us to do and what we have been so caught up in in our past is, is going to give us more life and peace than the life in the Spirit. There's three times in this, in this passage, in these first 13 verses of Romans 8, where the phrase spirit of life is used. You see it in verse 2, you see it in verse 6, and you see it again in verse 10. The spirit is life. But it's so easy for us to become convinced that, man, man if I just look at that website and what it offers, if I just look at those images, it's going to give me the life. It's going to give me that, and it's not. But yet in the moment, you become convinced that it will. If I just destroy that person with my words, if I just gossip in a way that's so malicious that it tears them down in front of others, that, but, but it gives me a sense of power, a sense of security. And, and in that, I think that there's life. But there's not. There's all kinds of things that we become convinced will give us life and peace. And all the while, if you're in Christ, you have the spirit of the living God living in you who is life and peace. And oftentimes we struggle to believe that. What is it that you're believing is going to give you more life and peace than a mind and a heart set on the spirit? I'm not asking that in a way to say, oh, man, that's a good question. I'm asking that in a way to where you and I would ponder that because I struggle. I struggle with this. I struggle believing that there's things that, that I crave and that I want in my flesh that will give me more life and peace than the Spirit. And God himself, who has never failed me, who has never not satisfied my deepest longings. Yet in the moment of temptation, I can quickly forget his faithfulness and run to a lover who will never satisfy my soul. What is it that you become convinced is life? Second thing I want you to see, verses 9 through 11, the first thing was that the transformation of our minds by the Spirit. The second thing, the transformation of our whole being by the Spirit. Look at verses 9 through 11. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. I, I want to point out something a little bit of a side here, but I want to make sure you don't miss it. In verse 9, he uses two phrases that in his mind, in Paul's mind, they mean the exact same thing, but he attributes them to two different persons of the Trinity. In the first part of verse 9, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Okay, referring to God the Father. Then he says, very next sentence, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He's, he's, he's saying these are one and the same. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of God. In other words, this is a strong hint, even more than a hint, at the Trinity. Sometimes people want to argue, well, the word Trinity is not in Scripture, so show me where it is. Here's one place. God's showing, uh, Paul is showing us, he's saying, look, God the Father, God the, uh, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ are one, equally divine. 
and power and substance and glory. The Holy Spirit is attached to all this because he's the spirit that indwells us through the spirit of Christ. So I want you to see the Trinity at work here. But then he says this, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life. There's that phrase again, because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? The righteousness of Jesus on our behalf. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So there's this promise here that it's not just the transformation of the mind and nothing else. It's this comprehensive, holistic transformation that God is going to be faithful to complete. To where he'll give us life now. This is both a present reality in part and a future reality in full. The present reality is that God says, I have come. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly or to the full. Meaning that there is this life of peace and joy that is available to us in Christ that we get to experience in pieces here, in slivers here on this earth as we wrestle, wrestle with the flesh. But there's a day coming. When God, when Christ will return, and upon his return, the the believers in Christ, every fabric of who we are, even our physical bodies, will be resurrected and fully transformed. And we will be with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth, reigning with him physically in resurrected, transformed bodies that include every fabric, little ounce, molecule of who we are, our brains, our hearts, everything. The struggle that we face now where we get this this gradual increase of a transforming heart and mind will be full in that day. And it'll be beautiful. But I want you to see the application of this text. Verses 12 and 13, Paul has walked through all of this. He's given us the theology, the soteriology, the, which is the, the, the way of salvation, how this all works with spirit in us, Christ in us. But then he says this. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors. That word debtors is probably better translated, we are ob- obligated. We don't like the word obligated. I don't tend to like that word. I don't want to be obligated to something that tends to carry a negative connotation. In this context, it's not negative at all. It's that in light of all that God has done for us, that we were married to the flesh, we were slaves to sin, and he, by his grace alone, not based on anything that we did, not based on our goodness or our morality or anything, because it would never be enough, he plucked us out of our sin and despair And he called us his own, he made us children of God, and he implanted his spirit, the spirit of God himself, Christ himself, in us. And so in light of all that, we are debtors, we are obligated, not to the flesh, but to the spirit, to God. Look at what he says. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, here's the promise, you will die. That's not physical death, that's spiritual death. That's eternal separation from God. But if by the Spirit, not your own willpower, 
Not you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, gritting your teeth and saying, I've got to make this work. It's by the power of the Spirit in you. If by the Spirit you, here's the key application, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Three things I want you to just walk away with. These three phrases to say to yourself over and over and over again. By the Spirit, put to death, live. This should be a part of our inward dialogue all the time. By the Spirit, put to death. What are we putting to death? We're putting to death sin, the flesh, the deeds of the body. Why? So that we may experience life abundantly through the Spirit of God in us. By the Spirit, Put to death, live. By the Spirit, put to death, live. That's our, that's our MO. That's how we operate as followers of Christ. I love this quote from John Owen from his, his uh, writing, The Mortification of Sin. John Owen lived in the 1600s, was a great Puritan writer. He says this, The vigor... And power and comfort of our spiritual life depends on our mortification of deeds of the flesh. That means killing sin. Okay? Killing the flesh. Do you mortify? Love that question. It's kind of like, he was ahead of his time and didn't know it. It's like somebody's like, do you lift, bro? Do you, do you tribe? Do you crossfit? He's like, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Listen to this. Be always at it whilst you live. Let's bring that word back. While you live. Whilst you live. Cease not a day from his work. Be killing sin. Or it will be killing you. Another way to say this is that we are, we are to be, if you're a follower of Christ, we are to be on a continual rampage against sin. I'll paint it this way. If, a, uh, if an intruder came into my house, somebody broke into our house. If an intruder came into our house and started firing off rounds of ammo at myself and my wife and my kids to destroy and to disrupt the, the, the life and the peace of our home, it would be crazy, it would be asinine for me to respond to that with, hey, wait, well, hey, come on, man. Pull up a chair, let me put a pot of coffee on. You're welcome here. So glad you're here. Like, you kidding me? My response to that would be to, to fight with everything that I've got to wrestle with this intruder and to do everything necessary to get him out, even if it means to kill. To take whatever means necessary to protect the life and the peace of my home and of my family. And that makes perfect sense to us. But when it comes to our hearts, the ones that have been redeemed by Jesus, the ones that have been made new by Christ, the ones who have the spirit of the living God dwelling within us, oftentimes not only are we not fighting, 
the front door of our hearts are open wide to sin, to the flesh. And we're saying to sin, come in, pull up a chair, let me put on a pot of coffee, so glad you're here. And we're not protecting the life and the peace that is ours through the Spirit of God because we're unwilling to kill sin. We want to play with it. We want to dabble in it. We want to get as close to the line as we possibly can, stand on the edge and say, am I okay? Is this sin yet? One of the struggles for the church in all of history has been this, but I think it's getting more and more true in a world that is saturated with consumerism and entertainment. But the struggle, I'm convinced, one of the biggest struggles of the, of the Christian evangelical church in America in the 21st century is a church that is so afraid of legalism we have sacrificed holiness. We're so afraid of being legalistic prudes that we've actually chased ourselves into a corner of license. To say, God will forgive me, there's grace, and that's true. He is the most abundantly gracious, forgiving God ever. But he also says, kill sin. Kill it. Don't invite it into the foyer and say, there, stop. He says, get it out and kill it. Mortify the flesh. Put the deeds of the body to death and live. And oftentimes we've invited sin into the homes of our hearts to destroy the life and peace that is ours through the Spirit and we wonder why we don't have life and peace. I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. I'm saying this is me. Do you relate? God's call on our life is not a call to be just ho-hum about sin. He's rescued us from that to give us something so much better, namely himself. I think about Jesus. Christ came, lived a perfect life, and upon the Beginning of his ministry, he's baptized by John the Baptist. And when he's baptized, we're told that the Spirit, of, uh, the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And at that moment, the Father looks down and he says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus goes from that moment forward and he conducts his three years of ministry, ushering in the kingdom of God wherever he goes. Ultimately, until he's on the cross and through his divine nature, he, through his perfection, he goes to the cross and he actually destroys for us the power and the penalty of sin. And then after 40 days, after his resurrection, he ascends into heaven to live eternally at the right hand of the Father, reigning as king over all. But I want you to catch something. His story is our story if you're in Christ. The moment you believe upon Christ and trust Him, the Spirit descends on us, so to speak, and not just descends, but indwells us. 
And now being made new and transformed from the inside out, we become a people where everywhere we go, we get to usher in the kingdom of God. And not only that, but we have, we have the power of Jesus residing within us to where we actually have the ability to kill the power and the penalty of sin in our lives just like our Savior did. And that on that day when he returns or calls us home, we will live and reign with him forever and ever in the presence of God. See, what we have in Jesus is incomprehensibly good. Why would we ever choose different? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the great words and truths of Romans chapter 8. We thank you that you have rescued us from our flesh. Father, we confess that we're still in this battle. We have the Spirit. But we often want to go back to our old ways. Would you forgive us of that? Would you convince us that life in the Spirit is what we most need and long for and that we would choose to set our minds on the Spirit? Father, I'm mindful of those this morning who may be in this room who... who, um, either know they don't know you, have never trusted you, or are seriously doubting it. Lord, I pray that for that person or for those people, there would be a keen awareness this morning that their lives have been set on the flesh and that it leads to death. So I pray this morning, even now, in this moment as we pray, that they would trust you, Jesus, from this point forward, that their minds and their hearts and everything about them would be set on the Spirit, on you, Christ, and they would experience life and peace. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.